0: everyone welcome back to the emancipate your mind podcast for the past week or so we've been talking about the difference between trauma bonding which is a bond between an abuser and the person that they're abusing kind of a stockholm syndrome kind of a thing where the person who is being victimized might fawn or people please or create these sympathetic connections with someone who's treating them poorly in order to keep themselves safe. But today we're gonna talk about something that is often called trauma bonding, but is not, and it's bonding over shared trauma. It's something that you'll see happen in support groups for people who've gone through a certain kind of trauma. Um, it's sometimes what happens when you're at a party and you find someone else who had a really similar experience to what you did in childhood and just like understands and gets you. And there are some really deep benefits that come from this kind of bonding, but there are also some possible pitfalls. And because many of us in this space have experienced either religious or childhood trauma of some sort, whether it was little T trauma or big T trauma, I thought it was important for us to talk about this because we need to understand how to get those benefits from sharing our story, from being heard and seen and understood, while at the same time avoiding the pitfalls that can come from re-traumatization, from getting stuck in our trauma, from feeling like we are only allowed to be the person who is traumatized and that we don't get to be a full human. And at the extreme end, forming additional trauma bonds. So we're going to talk about this whole spectrum today, and then we're going to talk about a couple of ideas of how you can work through this and protect yourself so that you're getting those benefits, but also so you're avoiding some of these pitfalls. Now, part of healing from trauma is sharing our stories, This is why support groups and even podcasts and YouTube channels devoted to sharing stories of hurt and healing from a specific kind of trauma are so useful. Some of the ones that come to mind, like I really resonated with Mormon Stories podcast when I very first started deconstructing and making sense of what happened in my experience of Mormonism. Hearing other people talk about Their very similar experiences helped me realize that I wasn't crazy and actually helped me put language to some of the things that I experienced and gave me the ability. Once we have words to wrap around something, it gives you the ability to begin to consciously explore it and problem solve for it. In January, I participated in something called the Beyond the Wound Summit, and we had experts from several different sectors of religious deconstruction not only talk about like journeys to healing and tools we could use, but their own stories and hearing that people have gone through something similar, validating that, and then talking about their way forward, the ways that they began to find themselves and reclaim their identity and begin living lives that felt good to them. All of that validates what we go through and also gives us hope that we can move forward. And many of you have even said this podcast has done some of that for you. Hearing your experiences mirrored in my own has helped you begin to give yourself more compassion and understanding as you've moved forward. Hearing that others have gone through what you've gone through can help you feel safe enough to begin talking through your own experiences and making sense of them and eventually releasing them and beginning to build a new life beyond the trauma. And when I say releasing them I don't mean forgetting. I mean that the trauma no longer has that same hold on you, that same control on you that maybe it has at the beginning. You begin to be able to talk about it in a very like factual, this is what happened, this is how I moved through it kind of a way. That takes time, but eventually Sharing your story moves you through the experience and allows you to process what happens so you can arrive on the other side. It's still a part of your story, but it's not a part of your story that's controlling your everyday life. Now, there are several benefits of sharing our stories of trauma with others, but today I'm just going to talk about three main ones. And the first one is that it helps diminish the shame. We've talked about shame a lot here on this podcast. Brene Brown says that shame thrives in secrecy, silence, and judgment. And for many of us coming from high demand religion, that was exactly the environment that we experienced in our childhoods or young adulthoods. It was this environment of groupthink. And so you weren't allowed to talk about things that happened outside of that groupthink. You weren't allowed to talk about questions that you had, it creates a lot of secrecy and a lot of silence. And if you do speak up or if you are different, there is a lot of judgment for not falling into the group. And this kind of dynamic creates a lot of shame on top of any other traumas we may have experienced, you know, any other abuses we may have experienced in our family of origin or with our spouse or, you know, from other members in the congregation we're not allowed to talk about any of those things that maybe might make the congregation look bad. And so it becomes this perfect recipe for shame. And trauma of all kinds, whether it's you know religious trauma or not, trauma of all kinds comes with kind of a side helping of shame. And when we keep something secret, either because we're embarrassed by what happened and we think others might think less of us if we speak up or even if we just You know, stay silent because the pain of the traumatic experience was so great and we don't want to relive those feelings. Our silence and secrecy reinforce this internal story that there was something shameful or wrong about us and what happened. So, being able to speak about that experience in an environment of safety, acceptance, and support can help us begin to shift our sense of empowerment over the trauma. And to begin to feel worthy again. There were a couple of key things there that I want to bring out. So often when we leave traumatic communities or abusive communities or when we leave a relationship that has been toxic for us, often what happens as we're trying to process it, sometimes we share our traumatic stories with anyone who will listen. And sometimes we share with people who don't want to listen. I know that was definitely the case for me leaving Mormonism is sometimes I would share with people who were still in the church who did not consent to hearing that story. Sometimes I would almost force that story on anyone who would listen, people who didn't ask for it, people who didn't share that same trauma and didn't understand. And I actually created some wounds for myself in the process, sharing with people who did not consent, did not want to hear it, and, you know, feeling like I needed them to hear me and validate me. This was mostly true for my family of origin. I often was not met with compassion, with empathy, with understanding, at least at the beginning. I was often met with judgment. I was often met with uh, silencing tactics, sometimes anger, uh, disappointment. And all of this kind of added, To that shame at the beginning, when I was still processing and still couldn't fully make sense of what happened, and I was trying to reach out to people that I thought were my support because they had been when I was in the church, it it turned out that that created more trauma and more wounds for me at the beginning, because instead of getting the empathy and the support that would have helped dissolve the shame. I got more judgment and a lot of anger and feelings of that I was a disappointment. And so it added to that shame and created more than I needed to work through at the very beginning. Another thing that I did at the beginning of my journey is I talked about this with everyone and I would get people who were curious about what I went through, but really couldn't offer support. So they'd be like, oh my gosh, that's wild. That's crazy, which was validating to a certain point, but people who had never been through something like that or who had been a part of a different religion and couldn't see any of those same characteristics in their own religions, I it still left me feeling isolated and alone and almost like I was crazy for having been involved in this religion for so long and that I hadn't left earlier. So there was a bit of shame that came from that as well because people would be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Why did you stay? And I didn't have a good response. Like, I didn't know better. They're like, but you're a 37-year-old adult when I first left, right? Like, how did you feel like you couldn't leave? Like, you were empowered. I had people saying these things to me who had never been a part of the Mormon church, had never experienced any of that. So these were my two people I was sharing with. However, once I found a group of people that had gone through something similar, were Empathic and accepting and understanding and curious, I began to really process in a way that allowed me to release that shame and realize, oh, of course I didn't leave before I left because there are all kinds of control mechanisms in place. Of course I stayed. Of course I thought I was the problem, not that there was something wrong with the church. Of course. I tried to people please my way into friendships and you know getting what I needed that was what was modeled for me of course I was involved in codependency like all of these things made sense and being able to make sense of that gave me a sense of power of oh now I understand why I did what I did And so I'm able to now problem solve and get something different. I'm able to provide myself with what I need so that moving forward, I don't have to repeat the cycle. So there's a lot of good that can come from sharing our stories with the right people. Now, how do you know who's the right people? Because sometimes. I've shared my story since then with someone who has genuinely been interested from the church. That does not happen very often, but it does happen occasionally. I will get somebody who's like, I want to understand and I want to be a better friend to those who are struggling inside of the church. Can you tell me what happened for you? What was problematic? How I could be supportive? And that has actually been really therapeutic in the last couple of years. So, how would I know? If that person is somebody safe to share with or not, right? So I really do like Brene Brown's marble jar analogy. And in the analogy, she talks about how, you know, people are constantly putting marbles of trust in our jar, showing us that they're going to be there to support us and empathize with us and that, you know, this relationship is a safe place. If someone listens to part of your story and they're curious and they're not judgmental and they're very accepting and supportive, they're putting marbles in your jar. And so next time you might share a little bit more with them. And if they continue to listen with support and with empathy and with kindness and with boundaries, even, right? If somebody continues to have boundaries with us and we can trust them to tell us when they have the emotional capacity to be there for us and when they don't, or when, you know, how much they're able to listen to and tolerate and when they need a break, because they might, right? They're human. So when we have relationships where we can trust people to be empathic and to be non-judgmental and to make the most generous assumptions about us, but also communicate their boundaries and be accountable for themselves, then, you know, we're putting marbles in this jar and this person begins to be somebody that we feel safe being more intimate with, somebody that we feel safe taking off a little bit more of the armor with and sharing a little bit more of our story with. So we don't just dive in with any person on the street like I did when I first left High Demand Religion and share all the gory details. I often would test the waters with like a smaller story that felt maybe a little bit safer for me. Like, oh, you want to know about this? Okay. Well, here's the small part that I feel, I, I wouldn't say this, but here's the small part I feel safe sharing with you. And if you reject this or are judgmental about this, I'm not going to go into a shame spiral, but I am going to learn about my safety in this relationship. So you might have like a more surfacey story or a less painful part of your story that you share with people to see, are they going to put marbles in the jar? Is This is a safe place. Or are they going to withdraw marbles from the jar? Is there going to be judgment? Is there going to be anger? Are they going to uh, project their feelings of insecurity and shame onto you and make you feel like you're responsible for keeping them happy? What's going to happen in this situation? So you might want to sit and think about that for a bit. Like, who are the people in my life where I feel like there's a lot of marbles in the jar? And if you're just beginning to talk about your story, what part of my story? feels like I have processed through it quite a bit. I don't have as much shame wrapped around this part of my story. And I feel like I could share it as kind of an introductory if people want to know. What is my elevator pitch basically, right? Like what is that small introductory part of my story that feels safe for me to share? And I can see how the other person responds. We're looking for people that, we'll put marbles in the jar and then we share a little bit more. Then we put some more marbles in the jar and then we share a little bit more. And sometimes what happens is we have people we thought we had a lot of marbles with, and maybe we did when we were in high demand religion. And sometimes we share things and they take some marbles out. They tell us how disappointed they are in us. They tell us, you know, that maybe we are a disappointment. Uh, maybe they're really angry and, they never come back to resolve that. Like they feel like it's your issue that takes marbles out. And maybe every time we interact, they're taking more and more and more marbles out. And sometimes we may end up with an empty jar. And in those relationships, because we've tried to share, we've tried to connect, we've tried to like bring them into this new part of our lives little by little. And they've been like, no, I I cannot tolerate this new part of you. Sometimes, in those situations, either we have a frank conversation with them. That's what I would recommend first. We have a frank, constructive conflict conversation with them where we say, "Hey, when I shared this and you you know respond with anger, I don't feel safe here, and I feel like I want to share less." Or when I tell you about something new going on in my life, and you plug up your ears and go, la 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 la." that makes me feel like you don't want to know this new me and that this new me is not acceptable to you. And that doesn't feel good. I don't feel safe here. I don't feel like I'm welcome here. And it's hurting our relationship. Being able to be as clear and kind as possible when we're communicating what isn't working, what is taking those marbles out of the jar and being able to have that conversation gives them a chance to try to meet you in this new place and to begin, you know, putting marbles in the jar again. Cancel culture is a really big thing. And you know, many of us prefer canceling people over having conflict conversations because conflict conversations are really uncomfortable. However, conflict conversations are part of intimacy. If we want deep connected relationships, we have to be able to talk about problems and solve them together. And we can't solve them together if we won't give the problem words, if we won't communicate them to the other person. So if you want deep, meaningful relationships, this is a skill that you're going to have to begin practicing and working on. Otherwise, you will only have surface relationships because deep, meaningful relationships don't happen because we are somehow magically astrologically aligned. They don't happen because we read each other's body language and just intuitively understand what the other person needs. There is a little bit of that intuition that happens by reading other people's body language and emotions, but we can even read those wrong. We have to communicate with words in order to build deep, meaningful, safe relationships. We have to say what is okay and what isn't okay with us and problem solve to try to find a win-win with the people we're with. And that's really important too. It has to be a win for both of us. So often when we come from high demand backgrounds, we're used to there being a winner and a loser in conflict. And that can take away a lot of the, like I think it around conflict is we're not there to fight the other person. We're there to problem solve with the other person. We are having this conversation because we care We want to problem solve. We want to make it better. And we want to find something that works for both of us. And that's super important. And when we create those relationships, then we can ask people like, do you have capacity for me to talk about something that's coming up for me today? Um, Either we ask them verbally or, you know, we trust the other person to let us know when they don't have capacity because they have those good boundaries. So in my relationship with Kevin, occasionally like he'll come home really tired and I'll be like, hey, I need to talk about something. Do you have capacity? But often I just talk and he'll let me know, like, I can't right now, I'm tired. Or how about we talk about this in the morning because I need to rest first. So having those relationships where you can trust each other to either ask for consent or to be able to communicate boundaries, like, hey, right now is not a good time for me but I could be available for you tomorrow or I could be available for you this weekend. Super important for building these kinds of safe relationships where we can share our shame. Now, for many of us who've left high demand religion, we don't have a lot of these relationships right at the get-go. And so this is where a therapeutic relationship with a therapist can be really helpful or with a support group can be so helpful because The parameters are set so that this is a safe place, or at least that's what it's intended to be. And again, you can use that marble jar analogy. You can go to a support group and you can test the waters. Is this a safe place? Is this a place of empathy and kindness and understanding and support? Is this a place of growth where people are willing to support me in my growth and they're willing to support me as I find who i want to be next and what i want to try on and as i evolve is it okay for me to evolve past this group or do i feel like i need to be stuck in this place in order to belong in the group so lots of questions to ask yourself is it okay for me to have my own individual journey is what i experienced you know met with empathy and compassion and support am i allowed to grow past this am i encouraged to grow past this What's going on here and what does the dynamic feel like? And does it feel like marbles are being put in my jar or does it feel like marbles are being taken out? So questions to ask yourself as you are sharing your traumatic stories and working to diminish that shame. The second benefit of sharing our stories of trauma with others is that the memory of the trauma becomes more organized. During traumatic events, the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain that organizes and timestamps our memories, it doesn't function the way it would normally. And because of this, traumatic memories are often stored in fragments, and they're often disconnected from a clear narrative and a broader context. So when researchers have conducted brain scans, traumatic memories don't light up the hippocampus like other memories do. So other memories will have a start and a finish. Even if the middle is disconnected, there will be a beginning and an end. The hippocampus goes in and stamps like, this is when this began and we'll go in and stamp, this is when this ended. And so because there's a beginning and a conclusion, your brain kind of wraps it up in a bow and says, this event is done. This is in the past. But in trauma, your hippocampus is kind of scrambled. It doesn't Work the way it normally does, and it doesn't time stamp things properly. And so, your brain doesn't get to wrap up that package and say, That's done. That is why we're still living out patterns from maybe early childhood. And so, if we had something, either little t or big T trauma, happen in our childhood, our hippocampus may not have stamped it as over and in the past. And so, we're still looking. To resolve that issue now that we're 43. So, something that happened when I was three years old, if it's not stamped properly and if I haven't worked through it and organized those thoughts, my brain hasn't said, This happened, it was in the past, it's over, and I can move on. We are still working to resolve that issue so it can be time stamped and we get kind of stuck in the trauma. And this is part of the reason we experience flashbacks for traumatic memories. Sometimes our brains just don't fully realize the experience has ended and it's in the past. So we stay at some level of fight or flight. And this is part of what's meant by the phrase that trauma gets trapped in the body because your body doesn't fully realize the experience is over and you're safe now that you can relax fully into rest and digest. However, as we begin to tell and retell our stories, Our brains are able to organize the event into a narrative with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we begin to attach a specific time and place to certain events in the story. This gives the memory context. As we organize our narrative, the memory becomes less threatening and more manageable to our brains and allows us to turn on the problem-solving function in our brain with regards to this memory. And we begin to see solutions for how to move forward, when perhaps those solutions might have felt hazy or even invisible in the past. And then from there, as we begin to organize the event and our responses in our mind, we begin to make sense of what is often a senseless event or a series of events. And as the story becomes more focused and as we gather more meaning, we often begin to understand that our reactions to the experience also make sense. We aren't broken. We are functioning the way we would expect when we feel threatened and unsafe. And knowing this can give us a great sense of personal power moving forward. We can understand, oh, I operate the way I'm supposed to. And I can trust myself. I can trust my body to protect me. I can trust my brain to protect me because it worked and it functioned the way it should back then. And I can trust that If I work with it, it will help me find a way out of this as well. And then the last benefit is we feel less alone. A common phrase many with CPTSD in particular may say is, I feel like I'm crazy because the trauma was so ongoing. It just, it became your reality. This trauma was low grade every day happening all the time. And it just was the way life was. You didn't know any other reality. You knew something was wrong maybe, but you didn't know anything different. So in this lack of knowing, your brain likely created a story that you were wrong because everyone else seemed fine. Hearing the stories of others who experienced something similar can help you feel validated and less alone as you acknowledge the hurt and you begin to heal. Now, what we talked about was sharing our stories the way I talked about it was really kind of pointed towards PTSD, which is like one big traumatic event. It can work for CPTSD too. It is a little bit more complicated for CPTSD because often the beginnings of the trauma happen before we can remember, before we're verbal, and it's woven throughout our daily life. And so it can feel like looking for a needle in a haystack, but Still sharing stories and experiences can help us begin to put context and meaning into things and to help us make sense of what happened in our childhood. Now, there are some possible pitfalls though with bonding over shared trauma, and I want to talk about those for a minute because I want you to be able to squeeze the juice, all that goodness out of being able to share and feel validated and seen and heard and connected and like you're less alone. But I want you to be able to avoid some of the pitfalls that I see those of us who are coming from high demand religion that are healing and moving forward. These are a couple of pitfalls I do see happen repeatedly. And so I think that they're worth talking about. Now, trauma can behave like a bonding agent or glue in social settings that moves people from strangers to best friends faster than maybe healthy. We find someone who's experienced similar trauma to us and because they relate to our deeply painful experience, we might feel this immediate sense of intimacy and validation. Unfortunately, this quick leap from strangers to besties can leave us exposed to additional potential hurt if we're not careful. And so as we talk about these, understand that this doesn't happen in all cases, but we are gonna talk about some of the possible pitfalls And just allowing yourself to check in daily, check in with yourself, give yourself some time, even if it's just two or three minutes to ask your inner wisdom, ask your inner self, like what is going on that maybe I'm not aware of? What feelings are in my body that need attention? Your body already knows. Your inner wisdom already knows which of your relationships are healthy and therapeutic And which of your relationships are beginning to maybe lean towards toxic or are already there? Where we get into problems is we don't check in with ourselves. We dissociate. So we live outside of our inner wisdom. We live up in our head, or we may even live kind of like outside of our body and feel like we're outside of our body a lot, particularly if we've experienced past trauma. And so we're not checking in with the wisdom that's already inside of us telling us, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This feeling is coming from this experience. These are some things we think you should be aware of because remember what your subconscious brain is doing is as you're relating with people, whether you're relating with people over shared trauma or you're just relating with people out in the regular world, your subconscious brain is picking up patterns. And if you have experienced past trauma, it'll do one of two things. So if you have unresolved trauma, Sometimes what it'll do is it'll recognize patterns of past trauma and be like, oh, yeah, that's like that one thing that we have that's unresolved. And so let's go there. Let's get in a relationship with that person. And maybe we can resolve it in this relationship so that our hippocampus can finally put a stamp on it and say done and put a a bow on it and we'll feel complete. And like that event is in the past. So sometimes when we have relational trauma that happened in childhood, we will repeat those patterns with other people in our adulthood, trying to, I guess, have a second chance to do it differently, to get a different outcome so that our hippocampus can finally put a timestamp on it and say that traumatic relationship is complete now. We found a solution to the problem and it's over so that it can store it in the past. But if we're not like aware of the trauma, if we're not working through it, what's going to end up happening is we're going to end up with the same repeated pattern over and over again. We keep looking for new people or for new situations to try and resolve this trauma. And what's going to happen is you're going to be like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I always end up relationships with people who are whatever the characteristic is. Like, this is just how relationships go. So. For me, my repeating pattern up until recently was I always get abandoned. I'm going to be really close with people and then they're going to abandon me. That's what's going to happen. And I had lots of evidence from my past to support this. I also had lots of evidence that this was not true. Tons of relationships where people did not abandon me. Tons and tons. Far more relationships where people did not abandon me than ones who did. But because of a uh, trauma that happened when I was 13 with like someone that I really, really loved and looked up to, like just kind of overnight was like, and you're in the out group and I'm replacing you with someone else um, and would talk about this person all the time and it was obvious I was in the out group now. like that was really, really traumatic for me. Up until that point, I don't think I had abandonment wounds, but that one was really traumatic. and that story sort of replayed out with friendships with boyfriends with you know other relationships in my life and even though it was only a handful of relationships that this pattern played out with it reinforced the story every time it happened like oh that's right if i get too close to people i can't fully trust them because eventually they will abandon me and so that has healed quite a bit there's still a tiny twinge of that there but that has healed quite a bit because i've been able to go in and work with that part of myself and like, remind it, like you have all these people who have not abandoned you that are still there and still support you and still love you and have since you were a child. It's only this few handful of people that for whatever reason, for their, like whatever their own background or their own trauma ended up cutting and running and replacing you with someone else. And that's like, that's on them. You were 13. That's on them. That's not on you and if it is on me like there are times that I'll be like hey it feels like you're getting distant is there something you want to talk about like I'll open up a constructive conflict conversation and be like i'm here i would love to hear you know what's working and what's not working in our relationship for you i would love to hear you know what feedback you have what you're feeling so that you know we can work together to make a win win and occasionally people are just like i can't like i'm sorry i've got to cut and run it's just who i am and that's okay. I now understand that that's about them. And other times people are like, yeah, oh my gosh, yes, let's have a conflict conversation and we'll resolve this. And then we get closer than we were before. The other thing that will happen is sometimes our subconscious brain reads the patterns and says, oh yeah, that's like that thing that we healed. That's dangerous and we're going to stay away. So sometimes when our trauma is unresolved, we will look for someone similar That was part of the trauma with us so that we can recreate the pattern. And other times it will say, oh, no, there's a lot of red flags there. We're going to stay far away from that or we're going to be really cautious there. So check in with yourself because your inner wisdom really does pick up on those cues from your environment. So checking in with yourself, listening to your emotions, asking yourself curiosity questions and giving yourself time. Like work through those things. Sometimes you'll ask yourself a curiosity question and your inner wisdom won't have an answer or won't feel safe giving you the answer right away. But if you'll continue to show up and be curious and listen, eventually it will bubble up to the surface and you'll know what your next step is. At least you might not know everything you need to do moving forward, but you'll at least know the next step. Okay, so here are three possible pitfalls. I'm sure there are more. This is just three that I thought of. And the first one is that we mistake shared trauma for compatibility. So when we find someone who understands the trauma that we've been through and just like gets it, it can feel so validating. But sometimes we mistake the understanding for where we've been as compatibility moving forward. So just because somebody has the same religious trauma as you doesn't mean that they're going on a journey to the same place that you're trying to go. And unless you have other things in common, like similar worldviews, a similar dedication to understanding and healing your trauma, that one in particular, common interests, like a common dedication to give and take in the relationship, you likely aren't going to be compatible even though you have these really deep connective conversations about your traumatic experiences when they happen. So often bonding over trauma feels so good because it feels like instant intimacy. And we may feel like we're able to take off the armor and be seen and heard and understood perhaps for the first time. But we may find that it's only in this one area that we feel understood And we may begin to feel like we're not able to be a full person, but we have to just be the person who experienced trauma in this relationship. Sometimes we get into these relationships where we're only allowed to relive the trauma and talk about these traumatic stories. This can happen, I find, specifically in support groups where, let's say you're going to an ex-Mormon support group and you guys are all talking about your experience in Mormonism or if you're going to an ex-fundamentalist Christian group and you're all talking about and comparing and contrasting your different experiences within your fundamentalist groups. And there is something that is so validating and wonderful about hearing, I'm not alone, I'm not crazy, and like wrapping language around that. However, if you're establishing... Community and friendships that are only based in trauma, and they may be for a little bit. That's okay. You've got to process. But if, you know, two years down the road, you guys are still rehashing out the same stories and you're only allowed to talk about Mormonism, you're only allowed to talk about the hurt, the pain, whatever it is you experienced, and you're not allowed to talk about growth or what you're doing next or you know, the business that you're working on, the education that you're getting, the trips that you're going on, you're not allowed to like move past that, then sometimes that can keep us stuck in our trauma and it actually holds us back. And so instead of being compatible, instead of this being like, oh, I found this person that understands me and gets me is going to be on this journey with me. They're going to be on their journey. I'm going to be on my journey, but They want to hear my life how it used to be, but they want to hear about life now and where we're going and they're excited for me and they want me to grow and to develop and change. If that's not happening, then this can become a toxic relationship because you're not allowed to be a full human. And we get kind of back to where we were in the high demand religion, where there's a certain way you have to be. now. The only difference is now you have to be the person who experienced the trauma and you're not allowed to grow and develop and and go other places. You're not allowed to move past that label. You have to stay there. So that's one of the possible pitfalls that I see is that sometimes people feel like they get involved in relationships with people who have shared trauma, but then they're not allowed to grow past that. And it starts feeling really restrictive. I had one client that said it was the straight jacket, the healing straight jacket, that they had this great community, this great support group that really got them at the beginning. But as they continue to evolve and to find a new spiritual path, as they continue to grow and educate themselves and like have these beautiful experiences, she said there was no place for her joy, only place for her pain. So be aware of that. Am I allowed to be a full human in this relationship, or am I only allowed to identify with my pain? Am I only allowed to identify with the trauma? If that's what's going on, then that might not be healthy for you, at least in the long term. So there might be a place for that short term at the beginning to feel heard and seen and validated and like you're not alone and you're not crazy. But do understand that if that is the only bonding going on, you have a couple of options. Either you can, you know, say goodbye when the time is right. You can, you know, understand that some friendships are not meant to be forever some friendships are for a season and that's okay sometimes we connect with people because that's exactly the person we need in a season and then sometimes the season ends and we go our separate ways and we just bask in the joy and the warmth of the time we spent together sometimes that's what happens and other times we do have people that walk on the path with us they're walking their path parallel to our path or you know somewhere in the vicinity of our path and we're able to communicate and share the various joys and sorrows of our paths. So do understand that even though that initial sharing of our traumatic experiences can feel very, very connective, it doesn't mean that long-term we will be compatible and we can accept and enjoy those connective moments for what they are. So there might be some people that you only connect with for a night. You might be in an event. Somebody else has experienced very similar trauma to you. You find that out over drinks or whatever, and you have a great night conversing about you know, the similarities and differences. And maybe that's as far as that friendship and that experience goes. And we can just be like, that was really cool. That felt really validating. Other people, it might last for a few months or a few years. And some will grow with you, but not all. So I think it's really important for us to understand that bonds created over shared trauma don't necessarily mean long-term compatibility. And then last, we did talk about trauma bonds last week. And one of the possible pitfalls, not always, but one of the possible pitfalls with bonding over shared trauma is that sometimes it can develop into trauma bonds. Trauma bonds can often happen between two people who have generally experienced. Past trauma, and they continue to play out that trauma in their relationship together. So, for instance, two people healing from narcissistic abuse who are familiar with the pain of that abuse, but perhaps aren't working together to address and heal the wounds that that abuse caused, they might inadvertently recreate the trauma they're both trying to escape. Like we talked about, when we have that unaddressed trauma, we often subconsciously continue to recreate the patterns that hurt us so that we can try and get new outcomes. So our hippocampus can stamp it and be like, okay, over and done. It's in the past. It's our brain's attempt to write a new ending. So if you're in this support group where people are healing from narcissistic abuse and you're connecting with different people over the shared trauma, sometimes we heal together and we talk and support each other as we move out of that victim place into survivorship. Sometimes people go with us on that journey and other times what happens is one person or both start acting like the narcissist and one or both start acting like the enabler or the codependent. And so it's really important when we are developing these relationships, again, to check in with ourselves. Does this feel healthy? Like, do I feel good after these interactions or do I feel, you know, gross inside? Do I feel angry? Do I feel hurt? What is going on? Checking in with ourselves will be so useful to navigating this so that we're not recreating trauma bonds that we're initially trying to heal from. And in the realm of religious trauma, the way I often see this play out is that a person will leave one high demand group and then they'll inadvertently join another one. Because remember, when we're not consciously addressing some of our wounds, and sometimes we're just not aware of them, right? We don't realize we need to address them, but we may find ourselves in a similar situation. So if you see this pattern continuing to play out, like I left a high demand group and then I joined a coaching group, and then before I knew it, this coaching group was you know, using in and out group think and black and white thinking and there were control mechanisms about what we could read and what we could do and there was gaslighting and if the system wasn't working, it was my fault. If that's happening and you're starting to feel like you need to be secret and silent or you're gonna be judged again, get curious with that. If you're not feeling safe in the group, there's a reason. And ask yourself curiosity questions like, Why don't I feel safe? What's going on that has me feeling like I need to mask? And just allow yourself to sit with those answers until they bubble up to the surface and you understand them. And this doesn't have to just be leaving one high-demand religious group for another high-demand religious group, although that does happen. I've seen people leave high-demand religion and join like secular and political groups that are high-demand where there's a right way to think and a wrong way to think. There's a right way to be and a wrong way to be. And you can't be different. You can't have a different opinion without being canceled. Those are high demand groups. I've even seen people who follow a prescribed way to heal. Last year, I was involved in a situation where I came in to speak to a group and there was a way to heal and everyone was talking about how this was the only way to heal and i didn't prescribe to that way and i was talking about my own experience which was invalidated and they said no that's not that's not right you haven't fully healed until you've done it our way those are red flags if there's only one way and there's a right way and a wrong way to heal that's a problem we're all individuals we're going to have our own journeys There are gonna be things that work for us that don't work for other people. That's why there's such a wide variety of options out there for healing. There's talk therapy, there's hypnotherapy, there's um, EMDR, there's ketamine-assisted treatments, there's psilocybin-assisted treatments, like there's Reiki, there's like art therapy. There are so many different ways to go about healing our past traumas And the reason there are so many ways is because we are all individuals and different things are going to work for us and different things are not going to work for us. If we find ourselves in situations where there is a leader or leaders and there is a way to do things, only one right way, and there's black and white thinking, there's right and wrong, there's us versus them, there's control about what you can read and eat and think and do. I've even seen people join... Like high-demand diet groups, like gone full-blown keto or paleo or Whole30, and that becomes sort of a high-demand religion for them, and they're worried about the right and the wrong, the good and the bad. There's actually a wonderful um, podcast that Bill Reel and Brittany Hartley just did on groups that we join after high-demand religion, and they talk about some of this. It's really, really good. I recommend going and listening to that. Um, Just go to mormondiscussion.org, and you'll see it listed under the podcast for the past week. And I think we join these groups because our brains are looking to rewrite the ending of our story of high-demand religion. So without addressing the trauma, learning to heal the underlying issues, I think we really are susceptible to recreating traumatic experiences in our life. And I loved this quote from a Medium article that's specifically about this. They said, we're victims of a stabbing who are looking for similarly wounded people when we should be seeking people who can stop the bleeding. So it's okay if we are hanging out with people who've been stabbed before, but what you're looking for is people who've been stabbed and are looking to stop the bleeding and heal the wound. So we're looking for people who get it, who understand the pain of being stabbed, but also understand like antiseptic wipes and stitches and like modern medicine and also understand that you're not going to walk around bleeding the rest of your life, that eventually it's going to scab over and it's going to heal. And you might still have the line there to remind you that you were stabbed, but it doesn't hurt anymore and it's not like infected and you can actually walk around and live your life without the pain of that wound reminding you of the trauma every single day. We're looking for people who are actively aware of their wound, first of all. Second of all, are actively working to like understand and clean out and, you know, heal their wound and can move forward with us. Otherwise, we just run the risk of sitting there and bleeding out for a long time. Oh, I hope this was helpful. I know that navigating the process of creating community can be overwhelming, daunting. We can have subconscious beliefs about our worthiness to be accepted in a community. We can have limiting subconscious beliefs about the trustworthiness of other people and other people's intentions. There's a lot that can hold us back. I would say that the pros definitely outweigh the cons with finding support groups who understand our shared trauma being able to talk about them. That's the reason we have a call every Wednesday night, a live discussion about the podcast with other people who are listening to the podcast, have similar trauma, but are trying to heal that wound and move forward and live lives that feel good to them, feel expansive and peaceful and just delicious to them. If you would like to be a part of these Wednesday calls, I'd love to have you there. All monthly donors are invited to the live Wednesday call. If you would like to become a monthly donor, please go to emancipateyourmind.org. There's a window that says support the podcast and give a gift. If you're looking on your computer screen, it's off to the right. If you're on your phone, it's down at the bottom. And you can click any monthly donation amount and you'll be added to the list. If you want to be added to the list as soon as possible, please look in the show notes. The information for how to email me, to get yourself on the list ASAP so that you can be involved in the next call is all in the show notes. But we would love to have you there and be part of your community. And I hope understanding some of the pitfalls will help you keep yourself safe when you're navigating communities, whether it's my community or anyone else's community. I want you to be able to listen to yourself and decide what is healthy for you and what is not. Because it's going to be different for every single person and I want you to get the support and the community and the relationships that feel healthy and supportive and validating for you. I want you to find a place where your marble jar is being filled up and you feel like you can take off your armor and be seen and heard and be yourself and grow and evolve and change in all of the beautiful ways that life was meant to allow us to change and grow. And I want that for you. I want it for me. And I look forward to creating that with you in this podcast and through the calls over the next several years. So thank you for joining me today. And I will see you next Sunday.